You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Good morning. Be seated, church. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus. And I'm excited this morning to ask you to turn to Genesis 28. But I first of all, I want to say happy Reformation Day uh, to everyone. I know you're going to go around and probably gather some candy tonight. But today marks the 504th anniversary of the day that God used a man named Martin Luther to spark a much-needed Reformation in Christendom. And uh, so happy Reformation Day, church. So Genesis 28, if you're turning there, I want you to think about something this morning. I want you to think about how you view, or maybe how you have viewed, your relationship with God. Some of us may have had or still have this view that God is just this father that is always disappointed. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, it's never quite enough Because you just can't do, you can't keep him happy. Or maybe you look at God as the CEO of your life. And you're working hard and you're trying to build that resume that looks great, that's impressive to people. You like to look around at everybody watching you and you're trying hard and you're doing everything you can to just get that next promotion. Or maybe it is like that classic game shoots in ladders, that you're in this game of life and you're trying to make your way up all the way to the Father. And you're just hoping that you pick that right card and maybe it's the, the, uh, the ice cream cone or whatever it is that it's going to get you to jump ahead until you dreadfully pull out that next card and you slide all the way back down. Well, this morning, we are going to look at this classic, this incredible picture in Jacob's life, and you know it as Jacob's Ladder. Whether you're really familiar with this picture or not, you have heard this, you have seen this. I mean, there are movies that have taken this title, Jacob's Ladder, and built a movie about it. Musical artists, in fact, is recent, it's not as recent as anymore, but Huey Lewis in the News. They have a song titled Jacob's Ladder. There are paintings. There are thousands of them. You can even go to Waco, I found this week, that there's even a nature trail. It's got this 88-step thing that they call Jacob's Ladder through the nature preserve there. So it got me to thinking, when you hear Jacob's Ladder, what do you picture? So Marla and I had this conversation the other day, and she was wrong, but that's okay. Her, Her opinion is still valuable, that... She pictures a, a kind of a, like a long, tall extension ladder, and it's white. She even said hers had vines on it. Of course it does. And that the angels are the ones, they're, they're climbing up and they're climbing down on this ladder. She even pulled out the scriptures and said, here, this is what it says. Well, mine's different. Mine is this kind of zigzag thing that goes back and forth, and mine's shiny. And mine's more like an escalator. That the angels are moving up and down, but it's the the staircase, the the ladder that is taking them up and down through this zigzag that comes down for us. But know this, it doesn't matter what in the world, how you picture it, because it doesn't tell us. It just describes it 
for us. But this is what I hope happens this morning. I hope the scriptures are actually going to give us a better way of viewing our relationship with God. And so usually, Clint or I, we, we kind of give you one thing. We want you to think about one main idea. But this morning, I'm going to give you two because you're exceptional people and you can handle it. So here's the first one. It's always the latter, always angels, always God. And I'll explain a little bit later what I mean by that. But here's the next one. Your or our unworthiness does not disqualify you or us. It is actually what qualifies you for God's unconditional grace. And we're going to see that in Jacob's life this morning. So in this series, through the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we've seen God's relationship with Abraham, and it's an incredible example. We've seen God's relationship with Isaac. And last week, we left off where Jacob, remember what he does? He deceives his father at the advice of his mother. So you talk about dysfunctional families. Theirs is one of them. Mom gets him to go and disguises him. And he steals his brother's blessing from his father. Even though God has already said the older will serve the younger. And that God has chosen Jacob. Jacob deceives his father. And Isaac is absolutely furious. In fact, Esau even says... That uh, to his brother that I will kill you if it's the last thing that I do. So this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 28. Let me get there also. Genesis chapter 28. Now I want to just kind of highlight the first 10 verses. Kind of recap it. And then we're going to really hone in on verse 10. So Isaac the father he, he blesses his Jacob, and he tells him this. He tells him, don't go and marry a Canaanite woman in the first several verses. Instead, go to Laban. It's his uncle, his mother's brother, and find a wife. And then read with me in verses 3 and 4 the blessing that his father, Isaac, is giving Jacob. He says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples, and that should start sounding familiar to us. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So, what we know is we were to keep on reading that Jacob is passing the blessing from God of Abraham now from himself now to his son. Jacob. And somehow his brother Esau hears all of this. And this is such a slap in the face to Esau. For one, he wanted nothing more than his father's blessing and his father's approval. And then he hears, don't marry a Canaanite woman. And guess who Esau is married to? A Canaanite woman. So what does he do? He's about to run off and he's about to marry a daughter of Ishmael. But the point I think he wants us to see is that Esau wanted nothing more than his father's blessing and his father's approval. In fact, so he's going to go off and then try to earn that by marrying a daughter of Ishmael. Now our scene begins in verse 10. So Jacob left. He left Beersheba and he went to Haran. So he's about to begin 
a journey. And what is interesting and fascinating about this is this is the exact same road that Jacob is about to travel, that his grandfather traveled, but he's going to do it backwards. If you remember our series, I mean, do you see the irony of this, that Abraham was called out of her to travel to the promised land, and now Jacob is leaving the promised land, and he's heading to that place of Haran, where his grandfather, at 75 years old, that God made a promise to him. That Haran was his place, that Abram buried his father, the place of calling and blessing. And Jacob is traveling that same road backwards. But along the way, notice Jacob stops. So just take a moment, I want to read this slowly, just to let this scene sink in. And he came to a certain place. And he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he laid down in that place to sleep. The scene is to take us back that Jacob had everything he could possibly want and more. He had land, he had family, he had a place of belonging, he had security and the promise that he was chosen by God. And Jacob has messed everything up. And now he's on the run. Think about that. The blessing that he had worked so hard to manipulate and to get, it must now absolutely feel gone. That he's leaving the place that God had promised and gave them because now his life is in danger. And the scene is here is Jacob. He is all alone. He's on the run. He's tired. There's no one to watch out for him, no one to care for him. And he's probably headed to a place that he never thought that he would go. All he has now is himself, his thoughts, and the memories of how he has messed everything up. He's alone with his sin, laying his head on a rock to try to sleep. So he's on this road following the footsteps of his grandfather backwards. But unlike Abraham who was leaving his father and mother and living by faith into the promises of God, this is the picture of Jacob leaving his father and mother and fleeing after the blessings that he had been promised. The Jacob is laying there all alone, head on a rock, the most comfortable thing he can find because he's made a complete mess of his life. But God is about to show Jacob something. He's about to show them that Jacob, it is not your unworthiness. That does not disqualify you. In fact, it's the very thing that qualifies you for my unconditional grace. And so Jacob, somehow, head on a rock, all alone under the stars, he goes to sleep. But here's what we know about God in the book of Genesis. When one of God's men or one of his men goes to sleep, God likes to put on a show. You go back to the very beginning, he puts Adam to sleep and he wakes up. And all of a sudden there's someone that wasn't there and his side hurts a little bit. And then his grandfather Abraham, he falls asleep and God cuts a covenant with him. 
So Jacob's about to drift off into dreamland, and what happens next is nothing short of miraculous. In verse 12, he says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder, a white ladder, straight up with vines coming down, set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God, they were ascending and descending on it. And behold, maybe Marlowe was right. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And what an incredible picture. But stop and think, what in the world has Jacob done to even deserve such a vision, such a dream like that? Absolutely nothing. It's in this moment that Jacob is stripped of everything, his family and land and the benefits of blessing, the future. He's left all of that because of the own sin in his life, and God shows up. But Jacob's about to get another unworthy surprise and blessing, because notice how the verse continues. And the Lord said, God's going to speak directly to Jacob. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. That God identifies himself to Jacob who is fleeing for his life. And Jacob hears directly for God. And this is major. Because the scene is this, that Jacob, he had heard the stories he had seen the examples of how God had worked in his grandfather's life, Abraham, in his father's life, Isaac. But now Jacob is hearing straight from the Lord. That Jacob had known a lot about the Lord, and now Jacob is meeting him for the very first time in person. And notice what the Lord says to him. The land on which you lie, because he's still in the promised land, I give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That God has just pronounced the patriarchal blessing over Jacob. From his grandfather to his father. And now to this man that had made a complete mess of his life. God pronounces that over him. But there's more. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. The remarkable thing about this is that Jacob is running. He's not out searching for God. He is running for his life because of the mess that he has made of it. Because of a sin and his lack in the trust and the promises of God. That Jacob's not out there searching for God to show him something and to speak to him and show up. But God knows something that Jacob doesn't. That this is perhaps the last night that Jacob will be in the promised land for the next 20 years. 
in the midst of this, of Jacob fleeing because of his sin, God is saying to him in this moment, this is your land. And it's a promise for you, Jacob, to hold on to and to cling to no matter what the next many years brings about. And then notice Jacob's responses. When he meets God for the very first time and hears from him, you're about to see five things from Jacob. And here's the first one, amazement. In verse 16, and Jacob, he woke up from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Jacob is showing, I felt all alone. He felt all by himself. But to his amazement, he realizes the Lord has always been there. I don't know, perhaps maybe you have experienced something like that. So first there's amazement. Now look at the awe and the fear. And he said, I was afraid. And of course he was. Who wouldn't be? But then he's driven to adoration. And he said, how awesome is this place? And the thing about it, he's in Luz. And the thing about it, there isn't anything spectacular about this place. It is barren. It's desolate. He lays his head on a rock and he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. He's brought to adoration. He's brought to praise. And then he worships. So early in the morning, Jacob took that stone. He took that pillow that he had put under his head And he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on it. He anoints it on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. And that name Bethel, it has got significant meaning. It means house of God. It means where people come and encounter the Lord. And Jacob is saying, this is where I met God. Even though Jacob knew about God, he finally meets him personally. And then having met him, everything now changes for Jacob. And he will never, ever be the same. That he knew about God, but now he knows him. And he worships. In fact, this rock, that pillow in the middle of nowhere is now a memorial to the presence of God. That it's no longer a place where Jacob is just running and hiding in fear and isolation. He says it is a place of worship, that it is a sanctuary. So he's moved from amazement to awe, to adoration, to to worship. But now Jacob's about to make a vow. And this is not where I thought this was going. After seeing this incredible change in Jacob where he says, I was afraid and he was astonished and he praises and he worships. Read and follow the language and see if you notice it in this vow. He says, and Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. So that I come again to my father's house in peace. 
then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Do you notice it? Doesn't that seem strange? That he meets God, God gives him his, this vision of this ladder, these angels ascending and descending, the Lord is there and he speaks directly to Jacob and he's astonished and he's fearful. He praises and he worships. If God will be my God, then I will. The thing I notice is that's not faith language. That faith is the unconditional response to God's unconditional grace and promises. It's, faith is not a no strings. Or it's not this, I'm going to attach all these ifs, ands, or buts, and there's all these strings. If God will do this, then I will. That's not faith language. But it's Jacob's. So then I begin wondering, why is that? Well, there's three things I think it shows us. That the first one is this. That your unworthiness does not disqualify you. It is actually what qualifies you for God's unconditional grace. And the second thing is this. It's showing us that Jacob's, in his life and all that he's going through, that Jacob's conditions, whatever he may think they are, are actually no conditions for God. The best word picture I could come up with, that it would be like this, would be like one of my kids coming to me and saying, Dad, you can be my dad if you'll clothe me, if you'll put food on the table, a roof over my head, help me learn. If you'll do all of these things, then you can be my parent. Do we see how ridiculous that actually is? They're already my child and no conditions will change that. I think it's showing us that Jacob's conditions are no conditions for God. But here's the third thing. And this is, I think, one of the things I love so much about God's word. That is showing us that it's not necessarily Jacob's absence of faith. But that his faith. It's just still immature. It's showing us that Jacob is still a work in progress. Then even after seeing this vision and hearing directly from God, Jacob has not arrived. He doesn't yet fully understand that God's grace is unconditional and he doesn't have to barter for it or earn it. And the thing that is true for Jacob is so true for us today that we are all still and always will be a work in progress. So I want to go back to my original question to how do you often view your relationship with God? Is it like that angry parent or the parent that's never satisfied and it's just filled with this, um, this legalistic fear? That you have to earn God's presence. That you have to do all the right things just to keep him happy so he doesn't go anywhere. Or is God like the CEO of your life where you're trying to build your resume and to work hard enough to catch his eye so that you gain his praise and one day hopefully a promotion? 
Or is it like that shoots and ladders that you work really hard, just hoping that you pick the right card and do the right thing, that you get to uh, shoot your way ahead, but you wake up every day fearing, man, is today the day I draw that card? Then I'm about to move all the way down and further from God. I think all of those pictures is simply this, that we can walk through life, even the Christian life, And what we're really doing, we're trusting more in our success than we're trusting in God's promises. Whether that's success in our walk with God and our daily devotions and our prayer life or with our children or where we are at work or whatever we might be doing, we can trust in our successes much more than we can trust in God's promises. But I hope this image of Jacob's ladder shatters all of that. That we are wrong if we take this image of the ladder and we think that God plants this ladder on the bottom on earth and that it leads up to heaven. And then God invites those to just start climbing. Some going to make it and some don't. And we struggle each and every day just to make it one more rung that Man, maybe perhaps I do a few things right and I get just a little bit closer. I want you to know that's a theology that says that God has simply only made the way for us to come to Him. But then it's up to us to do all the hard work. And if we try hard enough and we're sincere enough, that just maybe we'll make it. Well, I want you to know that isn't all the picture in Genesis 28 of Jacob's ladder. In fact, it's just the opposite. This is not a ladder that we are called to ascend. In fact, it's a ladder in which God came to us. John chapter 1 tells us when Jesus is talking to Philip and Nathaniel under the fig tree, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the man of God. That this is not a picture of us searching and striving for God and working as hard as we can, just hoping that we make it. No, it's about God coming to us. And then God shows us in John that there was not a cost great enough, that he was not willing to give up or to stop at. So this morning I hope when we can believe this. That your unworthiness. And I know we all feel it. I do. That your unworthiness does not. And it will never will. Disqualify you. In fact it's actually the thing that qualifies you and me. For God's unconditional grace. In fact God has made over 14,000 promises. And not a single one of those are to people that are deserving of grace. They're all made to people that need grace. But here's the second thing. Imagine how alone Jacob felt. By himself, heading out on a journey he thought he'd never go on before. And he knows he is there by his own doing. He had everything he could possibly want and more. And he screwed it all up. And he knows it's only because of him. But in his disgrace and in his loneliness, 
he told us he realized how near God actually was. And he's going to come to know at even greater depths this. That God is never, ever not working in his life. So I want you to remember always the latter, always the angels, always God. That God is never, ever not working in your life. Things may be going well. You may be making great strides, it seems like, in your sanctification. Or it may be just the opposite. But God is never, ever not working in your life. So remind yourself, always the latter, always angels, always God, that he is always working. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.